I'm going to be keeping you company right up until 10 o'clock. And that's when the WGN TV news broadcast is going to happen. Have you had trouble sleeping? Have you had weird dreams? Did you know that psychologists say that there's a connection between stress and sleep? So, of course, uh, right now, there's a big prediction that a lot of people are struggling with sleep problems, whether it's that you're having weird dreams or you're having trouble falling asleep. Well, we've got an expert here for you, and boy, is he an expert. We've got Dr. Douglas Kirsch. He is a neurologist and a sleep specialist. His official title is Medical Director of Sleep Medicine and Sleep Laboratories for Sleep Medicine at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hi, Dr. Kirsch. How are you? Good evening. How are you doing? Fantastic. And I'm hoping that you're safe and, and well. No, doing very well. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so do you mind explaining a little bit about what it means to be medical director of sleep medicine and sleep laboratories? So Atrium Health is a uh, large health system in South, in North and South Carolina and Georgia, about 50 hospitals. And so I uh, am the medical director for all of sleep medicine for the, the hospital system, uh, as well as the, the sleep laboratories where we do sleep studies on people at nighttime. I have always wanted to participate in a sleep laboratory study because I think I have very weird sleep patterns. I know that a lot of people do. In fact, let me give out the number 312-981-7200 if you have a question for Dr. Kirsch. Um, Dr. Kirsch, by the way, I know that you've spent some time in the Midwest as well at University of Michigan. I was. I was a training fellow there, and I was on the faculty there for a few years. It was a great opportunity. Well, fantastic. So tell us, with your all of your expertise as a neurologist and then also as a sleep specialist, um, how is this coronavirus pandemic affecting people and their sleep? Well, it's interesting because I think that there's actually been some positive things for people and probably some negative things as well. Um, I think the thing that people don't think about as a positive so much is that with uh, people not going commuting, working from home, schedules a little more relaxed, people are probably getting a little more sleep than they usually would, um, which, you know, when we look at the data from the CDC that says many people in this country are sleep deprived, this is actually an opportunity for some number of people to actually get a little caught up on their sleep. And they may be, may be noticing that they're not feeling quite as sleepy during the daytime. On the other hand, as you are pointing out, there's a lot of stress out there in the right. world, um, uncertainty and worry about family and uh, jobs and finances and, mm-hmm. and all that stress clearly has an impact on sleep. And so that can cause some difficulty with sleep as well. So you have this kind of balancing act. There's more opportunity for sleep, but people may not always be able to sleep as well as they'd like to because of all those stresses. So, Dr. Kirsch, can we just start with the basics? How much sleep does an adult really need? So um, what I'll say is that uh, it's an individual thing so that the average person probably does best with about eight hours of sleep at night. What the data says is that at least seven hours a night is good for health. And so what I tell my patients when I see them is if you can get at least seven, you're probably on the right track. You may need more than that. You may not feel your best or you may not perform your best if you're not getting eight hours of sleep. And so that's really the goal for most people, but a minimum of seven is what I'm trying to get my patients to aim for most of the time. And what about for children? So children, it's really by age. And so um, most people who have little ones at home know that they're getting more than eight hours of sleep, or at least they should be. And so um, little kids are getting 
12 or 14 hours of sleep, the, the really small ones, and it they slowly decrease the amount of sleep they need over time. So, you know, your six or seven-year-old may need about 10 hours of sleep and, you know, 10 to 12 maybe, and then your 13-year-old is probably somewhere between 8 and 10. And so it, it changes over the course of that childhood. You're a neurologist. Break down what happens to our brains when we're sleeping. Why is it that sometimes you're can be physically exhausted, but it's impossible to fall asleep, or you feel as though you slept eight hours overnight, but you still feel tired. (laughs) So um, (laughs) what I'll say is that um, being physically exhausted doesn't always mean that you're biologically sleepy. So people recognize that, you know, if you run a marathon, you're going to be physically exhausted, but you're not immediately going to be sleepy at that time. Sleepiness is defined in part. close your eyes and and, and go to sleep, right? And Mm -hmm. so there's a difference between exhaustion and sleepiness. And that that need to sleep is determined in part by, yeah, how active you were during the daytime, but it's also determined in part by your body clock. So, you know, what time does your body usually want to go to sleep and what time does it usually get up? And people aren't always paying attention to exactly when that body clock is really functioning optimally for them. Hmm. Okay. So I've already learned something here because I've been exchanging exhausted with sleepy or needing more sleep and I've been making that synonymous. So what I tell my patients a lot of time is there's a spectrum between what I call fatigue, which is, you know, kind of that physical exhaustion, that tiredness, the low energy, the muscle achies, the, all those things that we kind of say, man, I'm, I'm really beat at the end of the day. And the I'm falling asleep now, that's sleepiness. And those two are, are, are sometimes they overlap, mm-hmm. but they are not exactly the same thing. And so it, it, it's complex to understand sometimes for people where they fall on that spectrum. But, you know, when you talk to somebody and they say, man, you know, I am falling asleep when I'm driving my car, that's not fatigue. That's sleepiness, right? You are falling asleep at a time when you shouldn't be falling asleep. And I will tell you, G, that I have talked to too many patients who are driving their cars to work in the morning or home in the evening, and they are closing their eyes. And goodness, it makes me nervous uh, thinking about driving on the road these days. Confession, as a a college student, I fell asleep driving, and I totaled my car, but... By the grace of God, I happened to not get injured in the accident. But boy, that solved me from ever driving when I'm remotely sleepy ever again in my life. So, yeah, it's very dangerous uh, indeed. Let, let me guess. That was at a time when you were particularly <laughs> either sleep deprived or late at night when you might have been exhausted after a long day. Absol- absolutely. <laughs> Can you describe what happens to the brain, what stages it goes through and what what should be happening to our brains when we're sleeping? Sure. So the first thing that happens when we get into bed is you go from kind of an awake state to kind of a slightly less awake state. You get drowsy. And that drowsiness, you're not quite asleep yet. You can kind of hear things sometimes, but you're starting to drift off. And, And we think of that as kind of stage one of sleep. And then you kind of shift into a more deeper sleep where it's a little bit harder to wake you up at this point. And this is stage two sleep where you're spending um, a good portion of, of the majority of your sleep time is probably spent in, in sort of this stage two sleep. Your brain is kind of running at a slower rate. Um, your breathing's a little slower. Your heart rate's a little slower. And then um, particularly in young adults, you get into what's called stage three sleep where you've got these 
your brain is now sending these very slow waves. And it is very difficult to wake people up out of that. This is when I can pick up my kids, you know, when they're sleeping and they won't mm-hmm. wake up. They, they are out. They are not getting <laughs> back up. Um, and they will go through that, particularly in the early part of the night. And then um, from stage two or three, you then will shift into what's called REM sleep, which is where you're doing a lot of your vivid dreaming. Okay. And so this is where your brain is actually a little more active in some places than it is when you're awake. So it's not just rest time here. Your brain is actually doing things. You're doing some learning. You're kind of pruning some memories. You're trying to figure out what you need to sort of pick up from the day. Um, Your heart rate's a little more regular. Your um, muscles are completely shut down, except for your eyes and your breathing. So you are are in this kind of dream-like state. And, and you go through these cycles over the course of the night. So you kind of go through this um, block of what we call non-REM sleep, which are stages one through three. Mm-hmm. And then you go through a block of REM sleep. And you go through about four of those cycles over the course of the night. Each of them are about 90 to 120 minutes, so hour and a half, two hours. And so this is part of the reason why when you wake up in the morning, how easy it is to get up depends a little bit on how much time you spent sleeping because what stage you try and wake yourself up out of kind of determines how easy it is to wake up. Because if you wake up kind of out of that REM sleep, you're going to be sort of, you know, remember that dream. You're going to be a little Mm -hmm. bit easier to wake up because REM sleep, your brain's pretty active. And if you're kind of in a kind of deeper N2 sleep, it may be a little bit harder for you to kind of get yourself up and get started. So, you know, it varies a little bit, but the more... I drive people to trying to get on routines, to try mm-hmm. and get to bed and get up at the same time every day. That helps your body know when to end those sleep cycles to be able to kind of wake you up in a natural way as opposed to being kind of jarred awake by that alarm. Wow. Okay. I did not know that. Well, we're going to be talking about how sleep is important to your immunity and some common sleep disorders and maybe some tips you can give us to help us sleep. I'm guessing that one of those tips will be to stay on a schedule, but uh, I'm going to have to wait to find out. A lot more coming up with Dr. Douglas Kirsch. He's a neurologist and a sleep specialist. So all that coming up, of course, 312-981-7200 if you have a sleep question to ask him. As promised, Dr. Douglas Kirsch is going to give us the secret to getting a good night's sleep, especially during the coronavirus pandemic. He is a neurologist, a sleep specialist, and the medical director of Carolina's Healthcare Sleep Medicine. Dr. Kirsch, how many hospitals do you oversee? So uh, I would say there's about uh, 14 or 15 sleep laboratories across our system right now with some more coming online, hopefully in the not too distant future. Oh, my goodness. And we're keeping you up very late right now because you're on East Coast time. So thank you so much. (laughs) But you're helping so many. and We appreciate you. Um, So how important is sleep right now for immunity? So there's actually really good evidence to say that getting enough sleep is good for your health and it's good for your immunity. And so what the data has shown is when you deprive people of sleep, it's easier for them to get the cold virus. And when they get enough sleep, they recover better, right? So it's not directly data from the COVID virus itself, but I think everybody believes that there is reasonable expectation that getting enough sleep every night is going to help your immune system be better active and try and help you recover more easily if you do, in fact, get unfortunately infected. Well, I'm getting a ton of text 
questions. <laughs> questions for you via text message. They're not calling in, but they're asking you via text. Um, from the 412, I've had a sleep disorder for years. No one can help me. I'm always sleepy during the day and have to take naps. I've been to a sleep program in California and Pittsburgh, but once again, no one can help me. You know, I think what this person is saying is is a common problem, that there are, it is difficult sometimes to manage people's sleepiness. And depending on the type of problem and what goes on, there can be a number of causes of it. But the good news is in Chicago, there are some excellent sleep programs um, in that area. Um, and so you may not have had luck at a couple of programs elsewhere, but um, I suspect in Chicago, you could find some really excellent programs there. Why is it that sometimes when you take a nap during the day, you wake up more sleepy than if you hadn't taken a nap? So there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that um, the length of the nap probably matters. So for many people, a longer nap late in the day is probably not a great thing that people are going to wake up feeling groggy. I really try and push people to take naps earlier in the day, so kind of in the after lunch time frame for 20 or 30 minutes, not kind of these two-hour marathon naps. <laughs> the longer the nap is, the harder it is to wake up because you're now in a stage of sleep you weren't probably trying to get to in the middle of the day. And if you're napping for two hours during the day, it's going to be harder for you to sleep at nighttime for at least most people who aren't terribly sleep-deprived. So the optimal time is around 20 to 30 minutes, that would be considered a, a cat nap? Yeah, a quick cat nap, something to refresh you, get you not quite as sleepy. You're not trying to, again, you're not trying to go through a full sleep cycle here. You're trying to get into just a little bit of light sleep, but not enough to get into that deep stage of sleep where it's going to be harder to get up. You're going to feel groggy and potentially even worse than when you sort of laid down. This is a text question. I go to the bathroom every two to three hours. This is from the 708 area code. During the night, what does that do to my sleep patterns? So particularly as people get a little bit older, it's pretty common for them to start needing to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not a terrible thing that getting up once or twice a night, um, you can usually get up, go to the bathroom, get back and get back into bed and go right back to sleep. It usually is not terribly disruptive to the quality of your sleep or the amount of sleep that you get. However, some people, particularly in that second time when they get to go to the bathroom, find it much more difficult to get back to sleep. And then you're starting to talk about, you know, kind of more struggle at that point. Um, and so some of it is trying to figure out if there's an underlying cause. Some of it may be looking at how much you have to drink before you go to bed. Some of it may be talking to your primary doctor about if there's anything that they can do to help that kind of need to go to the bathroom. And some of it's trying to understand if you have a sleep problem that's waking you up. So for instance, sleep apnea, where people don't breathe well at nighttime is a common reason that people need to get up to go to the bathroom at nighttime mm-hmm. um, when the other symptoms are there. And so often when people have kind of struggled with this and they've gone to their primary care doctor, they'll come to a sleep doctor to talk a little bit about it and see if there's something that they can do to help. You mentioned sleep apnea, which I feel most of us have heard a little something of about. What are some other common sleep disorders that you see? So the, the most common that I see in clinic is sleep apnea. The second most common is insomnia, where people have difficulty either falling or staying asleep. And then, you know, it starts to break into smaller categories like restless leg syndrome and narcolepsy and um, circadian rhythm disorders where people are kind of, their biological clock isn't quite allowing them to sleep at the times that they would like to. 
How would you know that you have a deeper sleep issue as opposed to just not being very regimented about your schedule? What I tell people is if you can fix your schedule, then you should do it and see how you feel. And applying that kind of regiment to really be on that fixed time of going to bed, getting up at the same time every day, giving yourself enough time to get good sleep. If you do that and you're still not feeling good, well, now there's something else going on. But honestly, what I'll say in clinic, a lot of the days when I see people is it is a discussion of, are you getting enough time to sleep? Are you on a regular schedule? Um, And it's trying to prompt them for ways that they might be able to do that a little bit better by, you know, setting an alarm in the morning or making sure that they're shutting down their electronics early enough at nighttime. Um, there, There are obviously lots of little things we can all work on to be better about our sleep. Okay, so Dr. Kirsch, let's say the basics. We want to get on a schedule. Does everyone take around the same amount of time to unwind and actually fall asleep? And what are some of the recommendations? I heard you say electronics, which we've heard before, don't have that blue light that's bad for you. Um, An hour or is it two hours before bedtime? So, you know, I think there's what's ideal and then there's what's realistic. And <laughs> I think it probably is, is variable from person to person. But I tell people at least to try getting the electronics down and the lights down in the house about an hour before bedtime. Ideally, maybe an hour and a half or two hours if you can swing it. But for most people, that's, you know, by the time you get home, you get your kids to bed, you know, you want to watch a show of some kind. You know, it, you, you wouldn't even be able to do that if you if you gave yourself only two hours or gave yourself the two hours to actually be electronic free. So I try and recommend about an hour of electronic free time, but it's also not just the electronics. It's also the house lights, right? So we all have lots of light in our house. Mm -hmm. We like to light things up, but it, but at nighttime, your body responds to light. And so you want the light to be sort of nice and bright in the morning when you're getting up, that helps your body know when it's time to get up, but you want to keep it as dim as you can in the evening, because that kind of tells your body, yeah, yeah, it's, it's getting time for bed. This is what I'm doing. And so that 65-inch TV that's blaring a lot of light at you at <laughs> nighttime is not helping your sleep. Whereas, you know, again, keeping the lights dim and, you know, I'm less worried if people are reading on a Kindle or reading on their iPad as long as the settings are pretty dim and they're trying to keep the light down as much as they can because that's at least allowing your body to get limited light as opposed to, you know, the bright light with the white screen and all that stuff that that we know is probably not good for our sleep. Okay, so then do that. um, And then try to get, do you recommend trying for seven versus or eight hours a night? So my goal for most people is really, again, to get them to a minimum, at least a minimum of seven. Eight is the kind of goal for most people. And so, some of this depends on what people's schedule are, and this is where it gets complicated, right? So I suspect there are some listeners who are probably barely staying awake now because they're getting up at 4 or 5 in the morning. i got other people who are probably just starting their evening because they may not be going to bed until 7 a.m., right? Mm-hmm. And so these differences in schedules really have an impact on how we sleep. And so there's no right schedule for any one individual, but it's trying to understand what their body clock is trying to do and trying to help them get that into a pattern, right? So if you have the capability and your body says, yeah, bedtime is midnight and I'm going to get up somewhere between seven and eight, well, that works out pretty well. And if you can keep that schedule pretty good, it's not a problem. But then let's say you stay up till three in the morning, a couple of nights, and then you sleep in till say 11 or 12. Well, now your body's starting to get confused about when bedtime and wake time is. And so the goal really is to keep that schedule as best you can seven days a week, really focusing on the time to get up because the time to get up 
sets the bedtime more than anything else. Okay, the time to get up sets the bedtime more than anything else. That's important. So, Dr. Kirsch, what about essential workers? Also thinking about overnight workers, people that have to stay up and work all night. How do you recommend people sleep during the daytime since light is such a factor in our body's sleep? So, right. I mean, I think shift work is a is a modern societal problem. It causes a lot of issues for people. I see a lot of patients who are who are night shift workers. The first thing is when you're coming off shift in the morning to wear sunglasses to try and really prevent that sunlight as you're driving home from waking your body up because you want it, your body to start thinking it's getting dark out. Um, and the opposite is true when you're getting up in the mm-hmm. afternoon is to try and get as much light as you can in that afternoon time. And then it's protecting your home, right? So it's blackout curtains, it's white noise machines to try and block out some of the ambient noise, kind of trying to get your phone out of the picture as best you can, trying to turn it off if that's possible so you can less likely to be interrupted by your medical office calling you for a reminder, your dentist saying, hey, it's time to schedule an appointment, all those things that we take for granted when we get calls at noon. Some people are actually trying to sleep at that point, so trying to be really protective of that sleep time. And then it's really trying to keep your schedule fairly consistent on those days you're not working, right? Because most people will say, well, I'm not working today, so I'm not going to go to bed at Mm -hmm. 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to go to bed at a different time. And how much you shift and, and, um, and, and how much you make a change in that schedule will determine how easy it is to get back on that schedule when you go back to work that next shift. So, Dr. Kirsch, what do you say to your colleagues, especially um, folks working as first responders and in the front lines of um, healthcare workers who schedule change constantly? It's really difficult. And in fact, I saw someone in my clinic today whose schedule is changing every two weeks, and he's going from day shift to night shift, night shift to day shift every two weeks. And, it, and it's a difficult one. But it's about trying to build the transitions in correctly and then trying to stay on that schedule for the two weeks that you're on that shift. It's not easy, and it's even harder when that schedule is rotating even more rapidly than every two weeks. But the goal is to try and, as best you can, build in, the, build in those schedules such that it makes sense for your body and try not to um, schedule a, for instance, a day shift right after a night shift, right? That, that, that transition is very difficult for your body. And so the more you can give your body a day or two to adapt in that shift, the easier it's going to be. Okay, Doc, what if I'm in bed, tossing and turning, I can't sleep, I am physically tired, but sleep is escaping me. I've tried, you know, every, I've, you know, flipped, fluffed up my pillow. I've tried to, you know, take the duvet off. I've put the duvet on. I've turned the air conditioning up. I can't fall asleep. What do I do? So the first thing to recognize is it's incredibly frustrating to try and sleep and not be able to do so. Um, And we've all had that experience or most people I would say have had that experience at least occasionally when they're nervous about something, when they're going to have a test, when they're getting married, um, <laughs> in, you know, insomnia is going to happen occasionally. Um, the first thing to remember is there's always another night. It's not always going to be this way. It's one night. And, and to recognize, to give yourself a break, that there is some value, even if you're not sleeping and just resting and relaxing, Got it. Um, that, that it's not a failure, right? That you haven't failed to sleep. It's I just, feel like a hey, failure. Is, <laughs> right, exactly. That this is not your night. It's going to be okay. And, and we'll, we'll try again tomorrow night. But 
in that time, what are some of the things that you can think about? Well, number one, the first thing most people do these days is they look at the clock, right? Oh, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh, it's 1.30 in the morning. Oh, it's 2 in the morning. That does not help. And in fact, it probably makes things worse. So really trying not to look at the clock at nighttime when you're struggling. It's a a very hard habit to break, but it's one that actually, in some of my patients, has actually fixed their problem. That once they become less clock dependent, they realize if they can't tell what time it is, they didn't know how to worry about it. So they stopped worrying about it and they started sleeping better. So it does make a difference. Um, Sometimes if you're really getting frustrated, it's okay to get out of bed and, you know, Try not to turn on that TV, that bright light source. Try not to hop on Facebook where you easy to go down the rabbit hole. Um, really try to focus on picking something that's um, going to distract you for a little bit but not be overwhelmingly addictive. So usually I tell people, pick up a magazine. It's something that has a defined beginning and an end. It's not something you're going to you know, get caught up in dramatically, but it's something that'll kind of allow your brain to kind of relax and hopefully sell you back. Love those tips from uh, Dr. Douglas Kirsch. He is a neurologist, sleep specialist, medical director of Carolina's Healthcare Sleep Medicine. Dr. Kirsch, thanks so much for being with us. Stay safe. And I hope next time we talk, we can talk about dreams. Really appreciate you being with us. Happy to do it. I hope you have a good night. Stay safe yourself. You as well. Thanks for staying up late for us.